Big O Tires is rolling out Black Friday deals now through December 8th. Get limited time Black Friday savings on oil changes, brakes, car batteries, and more. Plus, save up to $190 on select Michelin and BF Goodrich tires when you use your Big O Tires card. With no interest financing for 12 full months OAC. Don't miss Black Friday deals happening now through December 8th only at Big O Tires. For your nearest participating location, go to BigOtires.com. Welcome to Red Zone Extra Facebook Live. We are a reduced crew <laughs> today. We are Samless today. We are utterly without Sam. Um, but what we lack in attendance, we compensate for in quality. <laughs> with Herbie Teope, Vahe Gregorian, and uh, myself, Blair Kirkhoff. We are at Big O Tires in Lee Summit. Always look above the door for the address, 1125 Southwest Oldham Parkway. You can see it from 50 Highway or Highway 50. I, don't, I never know which, you know, if it's Highway 50 or 50 Highway, but it's well, 50. Just the fact it's a topic in this area and no, and no place else in the country that I know of, except maybe in your Carolina or something. <laughs> I've never, ever, ever heard of the number B before the highway in any other place but here. But you can see it from the highway, which is one of the, the one of the few big old tires that we've been to this year. We can see the you know, see the shop from the highway. Um, if you've if you've uh, driven past the Hardee's, you've gone too far. <laughs> and a subject for another day is the Hardee's Carl's Jr. line of delineation. We're gonna have to get into that sometime. Um, but but today it's Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs are on a bye week, an open week, uh, an off week, whatever you want to call it. But we are not. We are not. We're gonna he we're here to talk Chiefs. Again, I said we were in beautiful Lee Summit, and I always like to recognize uh, some, of the, uh, some of the famous folks of Lee Summit, uh, of the town we're in, and that's Lee Summit. This, Drew Locke is a Lee Summit uh, uh, resident. Um, Shaquille Harrison, uh, basketball player. Evan Bain from Lee Summit. So many, many Lee Summit. Michael Dixon from uh, Old Mizzou basketball player. A Andy Locke. Andy Locke. Chef extraordinaire, businessman, and... Father yeah. of Drew Locke. Yeah, very much. Uh, You're missing the most important person, though. Our own Sam McDowell lives about five, six minutes from here. He does. <laughs> and he was really looking forward to a home game uh, today. <laughs> but uh, he and Sam Mellinger are on assignment and not with us today. So, again, while the Chiefs are off, the, the Sams are scattered uh, to different parts of the country working on stories. And we three are here to talk Chiefs. Um, before we spin it forward, I wanted to ask you guys a little bit uh, a, a more about the Mexico City experience, where the Chiefs beat the Chargers 24-17 on Monday Night Football, the team's only Monday Night Football game of the year, and what a scene that was. What an experience it must have been. Uh, first of all, you didn't have to change, change time zones, but it was a long way getting down there, long day traveling, getting back, I suspect. What are your... What were your enduring impressions of, of Mexico City? Herbie, start with you. I think my enduring experience was it was the electricity. You cannot deny the electricity in Mexico City. The, the folks down there in Mexico City love the National Football League. And I, it was quite clear going to the stadium where you see so many different jerseys from various teams, players, Tom Brady, Antonio Dan Brown, Marino. yeah, Dan Marino, yeah, Roger yeah. Staubach. We Staubach. saw a Roger Staubach <laughs> yeah. jersey, a lot of Cowboys fans down there, Raiders fans. 
Uh, and then the amount of Chiefs fans. I mean, I saw a number 18 Sammy Parker jersey out there. Wow. Old Joe Montana jerseys, a Matt Castle jerseys. He was well represented, Jamal Charles. And the list just goes on and on. But I, I really enjoyed the electricity of it. And, and you really captured that electricity during the national anthem for both countries. I, I know uh, Mellinger pointed out that he got chills, and he's absolutely correct. It, it was just a chilling experience. It was an enjoyable experience. And it wouldn't surprise me to see more games in Mexico City as, as the years progress because the NFL found something down there. It, it did. And, look, it was really stirring, especially, I, I mean, all three of us, all four of us that were, were captivated by a lot of things, but especially during both anthems. I mean, that was when they brought both flags out. Um, and I, I couldn't resist taking a, a little video of it, just that it was, it was um, exhilarating. And, and it really spoke to, I think, the way Mexico embraces the game. Um, Sam McDowell last week, as we were getting ready, ready for it, um, in the run-up, did a story talking to some NFL officials. And they've identified, I guess, 22 million people who identify themselves, anyway, as NFL fans in Mexico, which coincidentally, and really is coincidentally, is about the population of yeah. Mexico City. So there seems to be a hunger for it, and it, it was kind of cool, as you pointed out, that it was an NFL hunger, as well as you know, well-represented Chargers fans, or Cargadores, as we call them there, versus the Jefes, um, <laughs> which I kind of love saying. Um, a thing, though, that, that you know, there'll be a lot of logistics if this is in the NFL future to, to be conquered, at many, many things, but start with the most simple thing that we observe, which is thousands of, of troops required to, to pull this game off. I mean, we went through um, hundreds just right there in the entryway with the media bus coming in, all with machine guns, um, three gates to let the media bus in. It, it, it tanks, I mean, military vehicles everywhere. Way different than you might have seen at an NFL game. There's a what is essentially a moat within the stadium. There's no water in it, but it would be a moat you know, mm -hmm. around the field. You didn't see this on TV, but police and, you know, every 10 feet down there. So uh, that's just one of the things, right? But it's the one that's visceral and something on, on my mind as we come away from that experience. Yeah, security was definitely tight. And I would say it reminded me a lot of the Super Bowl. Because whenever there's a Super Bowl, there's obviously a heavy police presence. And that's what you had down there. Security was definitely top notch. Although, I, I, let me share this real quick. Um, so Sam McDowell and I made our way down to the field before the game, and I guess our credential didn't allow us down on the field, but um, a, a really nice, thoughtful security guard let us down, and we got, got to you know, just see some up close and personal stuff with Patrick Mahomes and, and some video with that, and Mahomes greeting Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner. As we made our way back, it was a little, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a labyrinth, and we kept being given approval to go through to the next place, and, you know, hold up our press pass to the press box, and next thing you know, we're being ushered to the Chargers locker room, <laughs> and, and there's no guard, and, and we're like, we're right here. I mean, I'm as close as uh, the door as I am to you, Blair, and, wow. and we thought we might as well turn around and not go in the Chargers <laughs> locker room. <laughs> At that point. <laughs> right. Well, a couple of things we did see on TV that you wouldn't normally see. Um, the, the condition of the field was the reason why they didn't, the, the Chiefs didn't play there in 2018, so that was supposed to be all taken care of. But we saw a ton of divots on the field. And uh, look, there was no Shakira concert, no, uh, you know, in advance as there was last year. There was, 
uh, two weeks before the previous soccer game was played in that stadium. But still, the, the, the field itself seemed to be an issue, at least in terms of cutting quickly and, and, and spikes creating divots. And then the other thing was uh, just the altitude, uh, the 7,200-foot altitude. Chiefs defensive linemen on that last series were really gasping for air. Frank Clark and, uh, and those guys, Chris Jones, just even getting back to the line of scrimmage as the Chargers were in their hurry-up mode. So this was the fourth game played, the NFL's played in Mexico City, the fourth regular season game. It was the second one on Monday Night Football, and all the reviews have been very positive. But I just think uh, if this is going to be an annual event and it's going to be part of the 17th game, which that's what we're talking about next year, right? A 17th uh, regular season game that would be played on a neutral site, probably outside the U.S. These are things that you know, Mexico City still has to, at least the field, they've got to get that right. And teams, I don't know if the Chargers benefited from training in altitude as they did in Col- at Air Force Academy last week. But I know the Chiefs were gassed at the end of that game. They were, and they, they spoke about it. You spoke to a few people about it. I did. I'll go to the field real quick. I think the Chiefs, sort of led by Andy Reid, and just, just wanted to be gracious guests. And so you heard in the, in the public comments after the game, mostly, well, you know, we play in snow and ice, and, yes. and some things are hard, and, you know, you just deal with the conditions. And I, that's very true. But sort of behind the scenes, a couple guys let on that it was, it was really not what an NFL field should be. And... You know, that is, that is something to be addressed if this is going to be an ongoing thing. And it makes me think about, well, if you're going to add other countries to this, I mean, right now we've really just been talking about London and, and Mexico City. Right. But other places and what their challenges are going to be to get up to speed before you're going to be making this more global. You know, in the field, obviously, the stadium, I think, is like 80 years old. So there's, there's a lot of things that you need to do to modernize it. An elevator would be nice. But, you know, to your point about the altitude, I don't know about you, Vahe, I like to think that I'm in pretty good shape, but going up the ramp to, from, from the bottom all the way up to where the press box was, you started feeling it. And I know some of the players were saying, yeah, they felt it as well. Uh, you, you can't help but feel when you're 7,200,000 plus feet above sea level. Uh, whether that affected the Chiefs remains, you know, none of them will come on record and say, yeah, we were gassed, but well, that's a consideration. It, it, this does make me wonder, and we got into it a little bit the morning after. Um, what I don't know, and I, I, I wish I, I get why Andy doesn't want to elaborate too much on this, Andy Reid, but I don't. They were kind of cut and dried, and and fairly certain that they there were two different, two, three, four different ways to handle getting ready for altitude, and that they chose to stay here instead of going to Air Force Academy. I guess is, yeah, is that's, that's where right. uh, that's the Chargers went. Andy didn't give, him, give us much about the reasoning other than we decided to do this. And what I don't know is how much, you know, they're just thinking about, okay, X amount of hours, let's keep everything the same. I, I just would have loved to hear a little more insight about why they think this was the way. Actually, I'd be interested to know, too, we won't have a chance to talk to them till next week, but in hindsight, would they have done it differently? And right. I, I, don't, I don't know that they'll answer that right now. What we do know about Andy Reid, having covered him now for several years, is um, he is such a creature of habit when it comes right. to you know game prep and travel. Uh, they seem to travel. They, they, they had to make an exception this week to travel earlier in the day, the day before, uh, which was Sunday. They went Sunday morning instead. Of, but typically, on a Sunday game on the road, they leave in the late afternoon on Saturday. And no matter if it's East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, you know, and they, you know, they, he just wants his routine. And I, I think his idea was just to keep the team in the routine for the yeah. week. And taking the Colorado Springs or wherever 
was leaving that routine. I remember, look, in 2015, when they played in London, the Lions went a week early. Correct. They went a week early to prepare for the time zone change. And I think, Andy, they left, I think the Chiefs left on a Thursday, um, like three or four days after the Lions did. The Chiefs won that game 45 to 10. I mean, <laughs> right. so they obviously had the better team. And at least routine versus acclimating to the environment, routine won, at least in both of those games. And I, look, in the end, regardless of anything else, that'll probably still be their takeaway. Well, maybe we would have benefited from going to altitude, but we won doing it our way. Let's do that again. He did, I, yeah. he did make one concession, though, as far as preparation. You made a very good point. Andy Reid is a creature of habit. He loves paying attention to the details. But that first practice they had on a Wednesday, typically that's in full pads. They didn't have their helmets. They didn't have uh, their pads on. So they, they began the week of practice with a very light day. And I thought that was kind of interesting that he took that approach. But speaking of concessions, by the way, I thought you might refer to this. It was Andy, uh, Andy doesn't always show his, his uh, sense of humor, the considerable sense of humor that he kind of you know, keeps hidden from us a lot. But, but he was asked about uh, the altitude the other night and, and had this line about... Uh, <laughs> There wasn't much air um, up, up here at the end of the game, but it was good air. <laughs> right, it was right, good, good oxygen. Air. And we, and <laughs> right. we used it all right. up. Yeah, right. Good oxygen, that's right, yeah. All right. Hey, Kyle and Jason, uh, thanks for getting in touch, and that's how we work it here. Uh, give us a uh, – get in touch with us through the through Facebook Live. We'll, we'll get to comments and questions as they come in, and we'll try to answer as many and address as many as we can. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about two players in that game who I think uh, are largely underappreciated. They certainly uh, did some things that were noteworthy in the game, but uh, I, I think we know Frank Clark had a, had a fantastic game, probably the best game in the Chiefs uniform. The Honey Badger, uh, I, I thought about you, Vahe, when he, when he got his interception. And we all did. Seven, <laughs> seven yards away from making you prophetic on a weekly, <laughs> your weekly prophecy come true. Um, but I want to talk first of all about Dan Sorensen, and uh, and then let's let's get through him. I got another one I want to mention as well. But listen, Dan Sorensen plays on special teams. You know he, he doesn't start. He's only been a starter for one year as a Chief. 2017, he started 14 games. He's just been a complimentary guy throughout his Chiefs career, which started in 2014. Um, he makes but turns out to be the game-winning play on the interception of the end zone. If he knocks that pass down, just knocks it down or doesn't control the interception, the Chargers have another shot, right? Because it wasn't fourth down, and, um, and, but, but he made the pick. So who got to talk to Dan after the game? Was, Sam McDowell was, was did, McDowell? And, and it was interesting. We were standing, another place we weren't supposed to be was uh, right by a, a, the ramp up into their locker room, and we later discovered we were not supposed to be there, but... So we were watching the Chiefs come in, and Daniel Sorensen still had the ball from the interception. <laughs> he was still carrying it. And Sam, I, I, I can't remember whether this has made the paper yet or made the uh, our online digital coverage yet, but, but Sam got talking to, uh, to Daniel, and I guess he was going to give the ball to his son, who evidently roots against the Chiefs uh, every <laughs> week. So that was funny. I heard that. I hope that's a good tease to the story, uh, unless we've already run it and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, and that, that is a good tease. Look for, the, look for Sam McDowell's story on Dan Sorensen coming up. One quick up. other thing I just want to sure. add is, to really very much to your point, um, 
I think he's been maligned a little bit, sort of always seen as not quite good enough, a little, you know, yeah, a little yeah, heavily criticized. Right. And um, as Herbie got into when he, when he diligently got up and looked at the snap counts the other morning, I think it was 71 snaps. 71 snaps. This guy played in that, was that every defensive snap? No, or no, that include, no, no, it no. wasn't every one. Yeah, it okay. was like six, seven shy of okay. each defensive snap. But yeah, it was a season in, high 71 snaps. In altitude, in the altitude. Yeah, and then to have, have it in him to come through to that moment. To make that play at the end. Yeah, I mean. It's huge. And look, he's, he's had plays. I mean, he, he had the pick six against Drew Brees. It was the first game you had covered back at Arrowhead Stadium oh. after you went to New Orleans, uh, Herbie. Um, he had a pick six last year against the Raiders. He had the big interception against the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. He had the play, it was right after the fumble that wasn't a fumble on the punt return. Edelman did it hit his finger, and all of Chiefs Kingdom was just furious about that call. Well, the next play was a tipped pass interception made by Sorensen that led to a touchdown. So he's he's had moments. Yeah, for sure. This was another moment, really nice moment for him, wasn't it? I think it also had a lot to do with the, the, the defensive personnel package that the Chiefs were running, because um, they got out of their 4-3 base early. Because Reg, a prime example, Reggie Ragland, again, only played 17 snaps uh, because the Chargers like to run a lot of three wide receiver sets. So the Chiefs spent a lot of time in nickel and dime packages. And at one point, I think they had all four safeties on the field. So, But Sorensen is a guy that, as, as we all know, that... Andy Reid affectionately calls Dirty Dan because he trusts the guy. And yeah. he came up big. You're absolutely correct. He came up big when it mattered, he, the game-sealing interception, and that was huge for him. Just one other point to add, too. You know, this was coming up big. I mean, we'll eventually go to the games that we're going to remember the season four as, you know, playoff game or what gets you positioned in the playoffs or how they do against the Patriots, right? But this is the bread and butter, kind of the mortar of the season, the big, the, the little big game that, that gets you there. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they lost that game. They'd be in second place against the, to the Raiders, depending on yeah. what the Raiders do this weekend. Right. Going into that December 1st game, they'd have lost five of seven. And four of those with Patrick Mahomes playing the whole time. That, that's, that's what that was shaping up to be while Herbie was frantically writing his game story back and forth <laughs> over again. and over, getting ready to send at the buzzer. Can we have a blowout, please? <laughs> I, I want a blowout where I can like, just have it written in the third quarter. <laughs> Not going to happen. All right, so the second guy I want to talk about uh, less conspicuous uh, than, a, than a game-winning interception, but I thought had a really good game in the amount of snaps that he had is Mike Pinnell. Bingo, yes. Defensive tackle, who's been a chief for a month, and you've written about him because he's a Topeka native, uh, Herbie. I, I, he's a difference maker in, when it comes to the you know run stuffing, and uh, he takes up space, he's physical, he's athletic. And this guy was inactive against Tennessee the previous week when Derrick Henry rushed for, I think, 1,042 yards. I, I think <laughs> I had nine that. touchdowns. Right. In the second half. <laughs> right. yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but did you guys see that as well, Mike Pinnell? Well, and, and I'm trying to remember this. Uh, you guys might remember better, but he had the sack. Yes. But he also had a, he had a big stop early. And I think it was a, a, just a, a tackle for a loss. quarter, a, correct. A little bit of a statement play like, okay, you're not necessarily coming in here like, like you've been. And I, I, I think it was you. I, there, was, there was a little bit of a, you know, huh, Mike Pinnell, uh, as that was going on. And then he, he kept, and, and I don't remember him being exploited at all. I, I, I can't say that definitively, but I thought he had some plays that stuck out, but also never got, you know, run over. For me, my reaction to that play was, I remember I took the Twitter and said, that was Mike Pinnell with a fantastic stop. Why was he inactive again last right, week? Right, I remember that. <laughs> 
So I know in training camp, uh, we talked about it, there, there might be times this year when the Chiefs go with their NASCAR front, you know, with uh, Okafor, Ogba, Jones, Passigno, Frank Clark, you know, and, that'll, and, and, and not run stuffers in the middle. And then and, and it's not like they've done that this year. If they, if they have, I can't remember them doing it. But they've got to have those big guys in the middle. And that position group with Derek Nani and Colin Saunders – uh, has played pretty, I think they've played pretty well. And even Joey Ivey. The guy, and Joey yeah, Ivey, the guy right. they, they activated from the practice squad last week to the active roster because he was also active. But I, I thought, what, what, you know, to your point, the reason why I think that they haven't gotten so much out of the NASCAR pack is because opponents have just been running right at them. And, you know, Mike Pinnell, his addition has been huge. You, you can't deny that. And then, you know, that the, the sack that he had on Rivers, just to give you an example of this, was just strictly on him from, from the interior interior push. He, the push he got right up in the middle of the gut there was all him, and he's a difference maker. Yeah. You know, when you add that in, and to your point about, you know, they've had some major injuries on, on the line and, and, and just a lot of flux, right? And Kendall Fuller's still been out in, in the, the defensive backfield, but how different do you feel about this defense right now than you did, well, a week ago in a way, but, but let's say a month ago. I think it has... This is a little bit of the narrative the Chiefs are spinning, but I think it actually is true. Andy was saying after the game, yeah, we had a little step back last week, but this is sort of part of an ongoing trend. And I'd say for the last five games, you, you, you can feel like you see something good forming. I mean, we've gotten this far into it and haven't even addressed, you know, that, that the much maligned defensive backfield had four, four interceptions and... Um, well, actually, only three. Three, because Derek Nottie had one of them. Alertly um, got, got his. But, but I guess the point is that, that there's been so much else going on that, that that's just kind of in, in harmony with the rest. I mean, it, it's, it, if you're a Chiefs fan following the sort of soap opera of how the season's developing, I think right now you feel like you see the groundswell for something big still. You but, just want consistency, though. You know, well, you and, and they haven't had yet. Correct. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I made this point the other day is I don't think we've seen a complete game yet out of the Chiefs team where all three areas are, are firing on all cylinders. That The closest we've come is week seven against the Broncos. That's the game that Patrick Mahomes was hurt. But it was like that was the only time where we saw everything firing right. at the same time. Yeah. And I, I thought the, the big, for me the biggest takeaway from this game was they didn't need Superman to win it. Because because the defense stepped up. I mean, I, Patrick Mahomes had a career low. I think it was 182, 182. Yeah, 182 yards passing, but he wasn't needed in this game so much as as he has been in the past. Right after Sam Mellinger challenged the Chiefs in, in his Sunday column to you know <laughs> stop letting Patrick Mahomes down. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I'm, Herbie, that's a great segue into what I want to talk about um, on the index card of knowledge, um, <laughs> where I uh, I always interested in some numbers, some stats, and, and NFL rankings. And uh, when you mentioned, Herbie, uh, the Chiefs not having played a complete game in a, in a while, I would say I would go back to the first couple of weeks of the season when they you know, blasted Jacksonville and Oakland. But um, if this maybe, – maybe I've got some numbers here that speak to uh, them not have, being able to uh, put together a complete game. Chiefs red zone offense this year, they ranked 23rd. Touchdowns in the red zone, 50% of their possessions have ended with touchdowns. That's 23rd in the NFL. In 2018, they were second in the NFL for the season. Uh, 70% of their, uh, of their possessions in the red zone resulted in touchdowns. Okay, so that's Patrick Mahomes' first year. 
In 2017, the last year of Alex Smith, the Chiefs ranked 29th, 45%. So the Chiefs in 2019 are more like the 2017 Chiefs when it comes to red zone touchdown efficiency. And if you remember back in 2017, that was also the year Harrison Bucker set the rookie record for field goals. That's The Chiefs were having to kick field goals in the red zone because they couldn't get the ball. What, what's going on with the Chiefs in the red zone this year? Before you answer, let me give you a hint <laughs> of what I think. Chiefs running backs this year Bingo. are on pace for the second lowest rushing total in 19 years. They're on pace for like 1,500 yards uh, as, as a team. So... Is it, a, uh, is it a Mahomes thing? Is it a Williams-Williams-McCoy thing? What's going on with the Chiefs in the red zone? What can, I, what, what can explain this? I, I think it's more the first point. It's the personnel because it, you don't have the running backs who, who are going to get you those tough yards inside the, the red zone. 2017, you had Kareem Hunt, yes, correct? Yes, that's right. So, and Kareem Hunt was a monster that and, year. And half of 20. And half of 18. Yeah, and half yeah. of 18. So th- this is what's going on there. You, you, the running back situation has been all over the map this season. I mean, you don't know who's going to get the most carries in one game. You know, Andy Reid wants to play the hot hand, so to speak. We thought it would be Damian Williams, but then he got hurt. Uh, he, he had suffered a rib injury. Um, LaShawn McCoy suffered what Andy Reid called a head injury on Monday night. So yeah. now, now you're down to Darwin Thompson and Daryl Williams. It's the running backs. You got to have a running game to, to complement that passing game inside the red zone. Is this an offensive line issue as well? <laughs> They've been hurt there, too. I mean, well, they've yeah. had a lot of injuries. Yeah, think about this. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a factor in it. If, if you look at that, like, Eric Fisher has just come back after, what, going out in week two. Eight um, games. Yeah. LDT was out a long time. They, they, remember that sequence, that horrible sequence at Tennessee where they had one guy in there that started the season at his position at one point, and after, like, three straight plays where the right tackle went down, whichever right tackle it was, so they haven't had that continuity. Um, I, but what I do wonder about that's interesting, remember, and Blair, you were there, the, the opener in 2018 at the Cargadores, um, they had about three of those backfield, uh, you know, misdirection, yeah, uh, yeah. sleight of hand things. And I remember just thinking, they could do that every time and score a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you'll never, I mean, I mean, Patrick probably could throw one behind the back. We haven't seen that yet, but that, <laughs> yeah. that could happen. So it's a combination of all these things, but I think it goes back to sort of your point and that you amplified, Herbie, that if you don't have that threat, then, then the running threat, then you're sort of left not one-dimensional but less-dimensional, and, and they have less to have to account for on defense. We haven't seen, as, to your point, we haven't seen the jet sweepage, you know, that sort of, and, and, and uh, Phil want, uh, or Jason wants to know if we need to be worried about Tyreek Hill's hamstring. On that point, um, what's been what's the latest news on Tyree Kill's hamstring? He's considered day to day. It's not considered serious. So the bye week came at the perfect time. If it's not a serious injury, then he has the extra time to to recover. I wouldn't expect the Chiefs to push okay. him next week. I'd expect them to probably say, well, he'll probably limit him on Wednesday, and then just gradually increase it as we get closer to that big game against the Oakland Raiders. One thing I think was encouraging about this was that it, it didn't seem like the sort of thing that was borderline blowout because he spent a good six, seven, eight minutes on the field after it. Right. Looked With the massage like, can you go? Too. Let's work on him. You know, it, and I think there's a, there's a pronounced difference between something that's like, oh, that's, that's a real pull. Yeah. Um, as, as you guys know. So um, I, I'm encouraged that he'll have a chance to be back. And you're right, Herbie, that this, this uh, for those purposes, this, this bye week comes at a perfect time. And Blair, 
you looked up this number before the Tennessee game, and it's, it's kind of still holding up. How many, it was, what was the number on plays Patrick and Tyreek have both been on the field at the same time? Yeah. It is remarkably low. Few. It was in the 60s, I think. And yeah. that, that accounts a little bit for things like red zone and it a does. little less explosiveness. I, I'd say it's worth three to five points a game, depending on how you want to do your math. Okay. To, to the one, one last point on, on Tyreek Hill, because you mentioned a good point that you're encouraged. Here's the other encouraging thing about that injury. He's, he was on the sideline for the entire game after he came out of the locker room. Most of the time, if it's a serious injury, teams will keep the players in the locker room to receive immediate treatment. They didn't do that with him. So he was able to watch the game from the sidelines. And that, that, that should be encouraging that he's not seriously hurt. I suspect if this was a playoff game, he'd have been on the field. If only a decoy. They would, yeah, they would, yeah. They would have found a way to get him back on Stand the field. Stand back for a punt return, yep. if nothing else. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. We, we saw what that did with the Vikings. So but while we're, let's, let's take a couple more questions. Um, and we'll stay with injured players. This one regards Kendall Fuller. Phil Scoville wants to know, is, does Kendall Fuller get a top-dollar contract uh, from, from the Chiefs He's been hurt for how many games now has it been? Week seven. That's when he had his surgery. Yeah, yeah. And it's the thumb. And I I wouldn't be surprised to see him back here uh, pretty soon. But has he shown the Chiefs enough for them to invest in him in a bigger way? He has not been the playmaker I thought he might be when he came. I I remember reading about him and and looking at a little bit of what he had done before. And and you sort of thought he was going to – flip the field a little bit here and there, right? And if not smothering coverage, you know, also some some picks, and we really haven't seen it. Now, sometimes, and I, I'd leave it to you guys really to elaborate on this point, sometimes a guy just does his job and, and it's not spectacular, and that's pretty good. I, I don't know that I can say that about him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, he, if he's worth a top-end contract, but I think for what he does for the Chiefs, it, it's good enough for the team. Uh, He's, he has the ability to play outside and inside, and slot cornerbacks in the National Football League over the past couple of years have, be, have come at a premium because of the amount of 11 personnel yeah. packages that teams run, which is why you see even the Chiefs' base defense. You, you, at the beginning of the year, when I, you know, I, obviously I was in New Orleans, but by the time I got here, I was looking at all the starting lineups, and they always rolled out with three cornerbacks and Kendall Fuller defending against the slot. You, you can't – slot cornerbacks, good slot cornerbacks don't grow on trees. And so he's going to be certainly worth a consideration, but whether he deserves the top-end dollar remains to be seen. I remember when the Chiefs got him, he was pro football focus's uh, top-rated or top, however they do it, uh, slot corner for the Redskins, uh, his final year there. Jermaine Grigsby uh, asks, why why did we renew the contract of the fullback and never use him? The dude is a beast. He is a beast. We're talking about Anthony Sherman. He had a big block on wh- whose touchdown run was it? Was it uh, McCoy? McCoy's? Yeah, it was McCoy. Yeah. Big, yeah. big block on McCoy's touchdown run. Listen, if you look up Anthony Sherman's stats, he doesn't get more than four or five rushing attempts a year. You know, he caught the touchdown pass in uh, in L.A. The open Patrick Mahomes first game as uh, or the first game of the 2018 season. He's not a stat guy. He doesn't put up numbers, but he's four special. You know. On all special teams, yes, um, he is a. I think he's a heart and soul kind of player for for the Chiefs, and he was a Pro Bowler last year. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's all well said. And you know, his stats aren't going to be catches and runs, right? I mean, his stats are going to be how does he come through in these situations? And I think he knows that. And the reason that play probably worked in uh, at the 
uh, San Diego Chargers of Los Angeles uh, <laughs> last year. Still love that. Was name. because because it it was uh, unexpected. I think. I mean, maybe not. It's not the whole reason, but I think they didn't really, really figure you have to cover him on the wheel route. Yeah. He's someone they use within the scheme. So yeah, I know it's like, why aren't we using him? It, it, it goes back to Andy Reid's offensive philosophy. But you know, he is Reid is one of the very few coaches around the National Football League who still utilizes a, a fullback. Fullbacks are a dying breed. There's no answer buts about it. But Sherman's value to the team is core special team. Uh, and he's a veteran and he's also a leader in that locker room. Okay, Cliff Whitegrass wants to know, uh, did the Chiefs bring back Patrick Mahomes too early? It looked like he was limping on the, the run up the right sideline, well, favoring the right leg. One of the things that happened on that play, and, and uh, we asked Patrick about it afterwards. Actually, Adam Teicher, our friend and colleague, uh, wrote a, asked him about it. Um, he asked Patrick about getting up a little bulky, a little limping after that play, and said, did he, did he, I think the question was phrased as, did you tweak your knee a little there? Patrick just kind of laughed and said, no, no, I got, my knee got hit. <laughs> and it's the first time his knee's really gotten hit since he got yep. back. And I, at least to hear Patrick tell it, it was like basically almost literally walked it off. Um, and I don't remember seeing any sign of that afterward um, on the field. I mean, I, I, I thought he was pretty mobile. Um, and I, I, so, look, I was as worried as anybody that they were bringing him back too soon. I, I think they knew better and they, they, they did it right. He was... He was stable and ready, and, and I don't think aggravated anything against Tennessee. And um, I, I, I think he's fine. And again, good time for the bye week, though. Okay. F- 59 yards rushing on five attempts. And we're, on his first run, I think it was a 19 yard gain. And I was like, wouldn't he be injured? It was 24, yeah. yeah. 24. 24, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, was, yeah he, he had, had runs fine. of 20, 24, and 15. And all were first down runs. Yeah. Um, all were the Chargers in man coverage, had their backs turned to the, mm-hmm. and he took advantage of it. And it was the first time since the injury I've seen him move like that. Sam McDowell had a really interesting point about that, by the way, which speaks to a, a lot of different things. But with a Tyreek Hill out, Chargers were in more man coverage because you can do that with Tyreek Hill out. And thus, what do you know? Patrick sees more field open field open. because backs are turned. They're, 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 they're downhill, downfield. So really alert of Patrick, and um, you know, kind of the, the the other thing that stands out with that is that the those three runs, 24-20-15, were the Chiefs' three longest runs of the day. The longest right. other one was maybe I think eight yards by McCoy. And one of those runs came with Joey Bosa and, and Melvin Ingram in pursuit. And so you got those two guys chasing after you. Right. I, I don't see any issues with You're this. Incentivized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. so. Okay. All right, so we've reached the point in the show where we uh, we talk about where the rubber meets the road, and that's uh, that's where we identify. That's Her- my phone. Herbie's phone has fallen. That met the road. Um, yeah, the rubber has met the road <laughs> under Herbie's seat, but I think we'll be okay with the. Okay, no crack. <laughs> it's not crack. We're good. <laughs> that's right. So you, what we usually do here is pick out a identify a player that we think will or should need to come up big in the Chiefs' next game. We're going to do another one of these Red Zone Extra Facebook Lives next Tuesday, so we will save our player identification for that particular episode. So um, I've got a couple of other questions that I wanted to ask you guys on where the rubber meets the road. And the first one is, Philip Rivers has 14 career victories against the Chiefs. That's the most of any active quarterback. And it makes sense, right? He's been around a long time. It's a division opponent. You see him twice a year. 
you know, that Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, they have winning records, but they don't have anywhere, anywhere near as many victories against the Chiefs as Phillip Rivers. He's 14 and 14 against the Chiefs all time. Should Phillip Rivers retire is the question. From what you saw on the field in Mexico City, is Phillip Rivers at the end of his career? I don't know. That struck me as a classic Philip Rivers game, right? He, he absolutely um, was dazzling in a lot of phases of the game, and then he does what he does. And it's, it's hard to reconcile the two, actually. I mean, he was, that first drive he threw for 63 yards mm -hmm. and just carved the Chiefs up. Yes. It did help that Tano mm -hmm. was covering a back out of the backfield <laughs> on one of those. That was, that was, Chasing down Eckler? Yeah, yeah, it was Eckler. Yeah, that, 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 that helped, but it also was him seeing it and, and adjusting to it. I don't know that he's that much different today than he was a couple of years ago. It is interesting, though. He's 14-14 now against the Chiefs, so I guess that means there was a time he was 13-3. and three. Yeah, that's right. That's the exactly Chiefs have won right. 11 in the last the, the, 12 now. Basically the pre-Andy Reid era. Yeah, which is, so that, that's just kind of an interesting side point. Um, but it I, looks to me like the same guy he's been with, with the, the, the penchant for the fatal flaw. Um, but that, you know, had he thrown that ball away against Dan, uh, with the Dan Sorensen picked up, I, I'd like to see the parallel universe, what, what happened in the next play. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't think he's ready to retire. And the key thing here is he's still playing at an elite level. It would be different if his skills were deteriorating, kind of like what we saw in, I think that was 2015 with Peyton Manning, when his skills yeah. skill started deteriorating. We, don't, we haven't seen that yet. He, he had a bad game against the Raiders, four interceptions, but the Chiefs just made some phenomenal plays on those picks. I don't, I don't think he's ready to retire yet. Okay. I disagree with both of you. I, I do. I think, I think he should step down. I think this should be it for him. Um, you know, they're getting ready to move into a new stadium next year. I just think a fresh start at that position would be a, you know, would be a good business move for the Chargers. I don't think, I think there's a, a ceiling on his ability to, to get a team to, you know, to a Super Bowl. I, I don't think that can happen with him as the quarterback. That is an interesting part of this, when you lay it out that way, right? Is he ever going to take the Chargers to the Super Bowl? And if, he, if he's not, don't you start over with someone yeah. else? Uh, yeah, but who, who do they have in place right now? That, that, that's the key thing here. It's, it's either you're going to have to draft someone. Well, you got Tyrod Taylor, who, who done pretty well against the Chiefs. Is he going to be your, your franchise, though? Could he, be the, could he groom the successor? If they draft this year, could he groom the successor? It's a little would, Alex Smith prefer, model. Mm -hmm. I would prefer Rivers did that. Okay. Okay. Is, all right, let me ask you this. Is he a Hall of Famer? Ooh. I think that's going to be that's going to be a thing that hits right at the crux of I, I do too. how, how, do, how do the voters deal the with that, right? The numbers right are astounding line. in some ways, but, but where you've taken your team and, again, the interceptions are, I, I don't know what the ratio of interceptions for him is, but it's, it's 14 this season, and that's yeah. always been part of it. Patrick Mahomes has thrown two. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but if, but if and the Chiefs overall have thrown two. In, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The Chiefs won both of the games. Uh, I take that back. No, they, they, Houston, they didn't beat Houston. Okay, yeah. So in 11 games, they saw two interceptions. I think his stats are, are worthy of Hall of Fame consideration. And I think if we're going to use interceptions as, as a reason why to keep him out, Brett Favre made the Hall of Fame, and he, he's a career leader in interceptions. But he also has a Super Bowl Super Bowl. Ring. Yeah. So that, I think that's what's going to hurt Rivers the most is the lack of the championship right. ring. Right. Okay. All right. Second question for you guys. I'll let you think about this for a second. Blair's bringing it today. Um, so, as, as you have no doubt noticed, if you joined us uh, after uh, after the start, is uh, we were three today and not five because Sam and Sam 
uh, are not uh, part of this group today. They're on assignment. They're out uh, chasing stories for us that you will enjoy reading, I can assure you, knowing what they're chasing. So they're going to be great stories. So I got to thinking about there should be some kind of Sam presence here today. So I, I got to wondering about famous Sams in sports. Sams, Samuels, Sammies, any kind of derivation, Samantha, any, any, who are the most famous Sams in sports historically? Um, I know it's, I'm kind of springing it on you uh, without notice, but off the top of your head, can you think of some famous, let's, let's go I got, order. I got two. Okay, well just give me I'm one, give me one. one. <laughs> okay, well, I, I hate to lean on the, the very name itself, but the pitcher, Sudden Sam McDowell. How about that? Sam McDowell, I wonder if Sam McDowell knows that his namesake was a five-time AL strikeout champion of the 60s and 70s. I brought it up to Sam and he seemed to, as he so often does, shrug it off. <laughs> <laughs> what was Sam McDowell's nickname? Sudden, sudden Sam, Sam McDowell. McDowell. Just like right. our Sam McDowell on deadline, man. That's right. So. I, I called him Sudden a few times, and he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, Sam. All right, Herbie, who's your oh, Sam? Oh, boy. I, for one reason or another, I'm drawing a complete blank, but something tells me there was an NBA player named Sam. Yeah, there have oh. been, been a few. Ugh. There have been a few. And, yep. and he, I know he was a guard. Yeah, there was a guard named yeah. Sam. Cassell, uh, Sam Cassell. Cassell, Sam, Sam Cassell. Cassell. Hey, Very good one. Sam Cassell. Won an NBA title with the Rockets, I believe. There we go. Yep. Very good. Bald head. I yep. know who I you're going to say. Well, I, 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 knew a, I know a few of them, but I'll just go Sammy Sosa. Ah, okay. I, all right. All right I, didn't so know, I didn't expect that. Back to you. Another one? Yeah, I need another one. Um, Sam Bowie. Sam Bowie. Oh, he took basketball, mine. I was, right? I was going basketball again. Yes, uh, the, the player drafted instead of Michael Jordan. Yes, yes. Sam Bowie, the seven-footer who from Kentucky who um, will go down in history as one of the biggest flops of all time. <laughs> all right, Herbie, you got another one? Uh, Sam Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> the actor. I'm he sure. had a cup of coffee. Yeah. Right. With the, I'm, I'm sure he's played an athlete at some point All in right. his life. All right. I would have given you um, Sam Bradford, NFL quarterback. Sam, okay. Sam Perkins, uh, NBA player, North Carolina basketball player. I got one other, too. What do yeah. you got? Michael Sam. Oh, how about that? The former well Missouri done. linebacker who well came done. out while he was at Very Missouri. Done. You could have gone Sam Huff, the old NFL. Sam Huff. NFL Hall Red of Famer. Redskins quarterback. Yep. yep. So you can't drop these kinds of things on us on the set here. I'm like, my brain is going crazy How about right Sam now. Lacey, the old Kansas City King? Uh, so there are a few of them. A uh, few of them. So that was, our, that was our tribute to the Sams who aren't here. We wanted to bring some Sams who, who are. And, uh, and we, we miss you guys. And we'll, uh, we'll see Sam, at least one of the Sams, uh, on our next uh, pod, our broadcast next week. So, a uh, couple of programming notes. Uh, as I mentioned, the next Facebook Live Red Zone Extra is going to originate next Tuesday morning, Thanksgiving week, Tuesday morning from Wichita, Wichita, Kansas. We're going to take the show on the road and, uh, and we'll be at a Big O Tires in Wichita, Kansas. Tuesday, it'll be at 11 a.m., new time. Well, these are kind of edging closer to 11 a.m. So <laughs> Thanks to me. Based on the arrival time of some of our <laughs> participants. Um, the, other, uh, the other program we note is, if, if you don't already listen, uh, Sports Beat KC, the podcast, uh, is uh, wherever you, uh, whatever network you use to, to download your podcast, go get it, listen to it. There's one on there today that Vahe and I put together yesterday with Michael McCambridge, the author of 
the 69 Chiefs, a team, a season, and uh, and, the, and the birth of Kansas, modern, modern, Kansas, modern City. Kansas City. It's a, it's a wonderful read about uh, the Super Bowl winning Chiefs and how it came at a time of great change in Kansas City. It was the, um, the, the you know downtown got a, a facelift. It was a, you know it was certainly a um, the, the airport was being planned. The, the the stadiums were were about to go up and just in times of race relations, it was just a fascinating time to be in Kansas City. All that is covered and the Chiefs' role in that is pretty cool. It, it is, and, and I, I really recommend it. And it's also very interesting. I guess we need the key parallel to be the, the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl this year. But everything you just brought up merits another set of scrutiny again, right? Whether it's everything from a new airport coming to race relations in modern Kansas City to all these things. I mean, so hopefully in 20 years we'll be writing that book, 25th Reunion there you of, go. Of, of, or some such while we're still at it. Podcast drops every day. Every day we've got a Sports Beat KC podcast. This will serve as a podcast later in the day, and, uh, and we'll come at you again on, on Friday. And then all next week, the, the, the Chiefs Raiders week, we'll have a lot to say about that next Tuesday from Wichita. So for the guys, Vahe, Sam, uh, Vahe, Sam. Vahe Herbie, <laughs> and the Sams who aren't here, uh, to Beth, to Mike, to everybody who, who came out and saw us, thank you very much. We will talk to you again on Tuesday. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening.